Hello and welcome to the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Dan Madigan and Patrick Martin. First off, want to apologize for some of the technical difficulties that led to the delay of our last two podcasts getting out. We promise it maybe won't happen again. Uh, we'll have our, our podcast for the rest of the season coming out Monday or Tuesday uh, during the week. You can expect that given the schedule of events that we've got going. Uh, and we look forward to getting the podcast going a little bit more consistently across the postseason uh, once every game really matters. In the meantime, UConn has had quite the week. They lost to Creighton by 19 and then beat Villanova by 24. So it was a week of ups and downs. The Huskies are now number three in the AP poll, whatever. Uh, how are we feeling after the this past week for the Huskies and taking care of business in a big way in Gamble against Villanova? Yeah, I mean, it's something for a team like this to finally get punched back and, and lose to Creighton. Um, and then with that Villanova game, it was kind of back to normal, right? They took care of business against an inferior opponent and really shut Villanova down in that second half. Um I thought UConn really looked like that Creighton game didn't happen at all. And I think we've talked about this enough on our various websites and, and newsletters. Um, Creighton's a really good team, but just about everything that had to go right for Creighton to win happened in that game uh, with the Klingon foul trouble, the hot shooting from Ashworth, just the hot three point shooting in general. I'm willing to bet that that probably won't happen again, uh, at least for Creighton against UConn, whenever they face off, maybe in the, in the Big East tournament, but UConn just came out against Villanova and and kind of just stepped on the gas from the start and, and never looked back. I thought Klingon was magnificent. He didn't have a foul until late in the second half, I believe, or, or midway through. Um, Cam Spencer was incredible uh, after scoring in single digits against Creighton with 25 points. And um, he's kind of been, I think I put this in our takeaways, that he's the, the canary in the coal mine, right, for kind of how this UConn team looks. I think he's had... The, the canary. Oh, nice, nice. Put that on a shirt. Pause this. Call Dan. We got to put this on a shirt. Um, single digits in four games this year, three of those have been losses, right? So, you know, he may not be – I think we've had a lot of debates about who's the MVP or the most important player. I don't know if he's necessarily any of those, but I think he's the best barometer for how the offense looks. And I think the offense is what's going to make or break this UConn team because um, the defense is solid. Uh, but, you know, it can change so quickly if Klinga gets into foul trouble. And, you know, I'm just blown away by Tristan Newton, man. I, I, I'm i just so impressed by him. Um, one of the better rebounding guards that's come through this program uh, in a long time, in, in a long line of really good rebounding guards. And um, sure, he was hunting a little bit for that triple-double in the final minutes of that Villanova game, but he freaking deserved it. If, if anyone watched the game, I test all that old school stuff, but he played his butt off all game. I was just so impressed with him um, taking what the game gave him, whether it was dishing it off to his teammates scoring when he needed to. And the three point shot isn't falling like it was last year, but he's being asked to do so much. And uh, I think he's kind of really vaulted himself into the big East player of the year conversation. And honestly, I, I think, you know, we can get into this now, but I, I think he's kind of a fringe NBA guy. I feel like it's always been Spencer, caravan as those like fringe UConn guys working on to the, you know, maybe sneaking into the second round of the NBA draft. 
really haven't seen a lot from Newton. And I just kind of feel like he needs to at least be in that conversation because he definitely has another gear to his game. And I think he can impact the game in so many ways. First off, uh, first order of business, um, Amea Culpa. I had predicted on our fast break pregame show that UConn would win by 15 points. I am sorry. UConn won by 24 points. Uh, I hope you guys accept my condolences there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we I think we all saw this coming. The way Hurley coaches that team, we saw those pregame videos where he's screaming at everybody about, you know, the running. Adamas Sinogo ran everywhere. You know, when, when you see something like that, you could have put the alternate spread at, at that game at by 20 points. You knew they were not going to come out uh, flat and fact during the rip hamilton stuff and the game day and i mean he hit the half court shot the, the, the vibes were just off the charts and that helped because villanova like schematically as we've talked about like does match up well with uconn they have long physical dudes who like can, are versatile enough to switch and bother players and and we saw that in the first half in our in the pregame show we talked i talked about like the three keys as getting Caravan and Cam Spencer, as I had called them, Caracam, unlocked. Half check. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say a full check. We know what Cam Spencer did. But Caravan also, like, he did lead the team in plus minus. So, you know, he his shot is obviously not falling, but he's finding other ways to make an impact. Avoid foul trouble was another key to the game. Madigan already talked about that. Set the tone. Villanova. Um does not, you know, really like to push the ball and neither does UConn. So uh, I had figured that the way that they won last time was with, you know, fast break points. And once again, UConn, 18 fast break points, Villanova four. And then a little sub key to the game that I was privately worried about was uh, their sophomore, Brandon Housen, had like become unlocked and Villanova had won four or five because he had basically from the bench put up double figures and at least I think two threes per game. He had two shots and two misses. He was a non-factor. So everything was tightened up. Everything was dialed. Uh, I saw that Creighton took 18 unguarded catch and shoot threes and Villanova just put up three. And to what Madigan was saying about Tristan Newton, I a hundred percent think he is going to get a shot. I have a comparison. I don't, We'll get to the comparison later. I don't. I. I don't want to be that guy. Um, but it's good to see Hurley starting the campaign trail. Not you know, it's never too early to hit the campaign trail. Um, and he hates mock drafts, by the way, which we can also <laughs> discuss. And I think it's going to work because if he has the type of postseason that he had last year, there's. I mean, there's the GMs can't be that silly to take to not at least take a flyer on somebody like that yeah i mean i think pro potential yeah we'll talk about that a little bit later a lot to talk about just with what went on with the squad caravan you know i have to say i i'm not concerned because i know and think he's a very good basketball player uh and i'm and i think like you said patrick he led the team in plus minus he had three blocks on the night he seemed to be doing well in his defensive matchup. However, from a shooting perspective, he has been struggling a, lit, a little bit, particularly from three. He's only had one made three in each of the last 
three games. He's only had more than two. The last time he had more than two made threes in a game that was not against Georgetown or DePaul was January 10th against Xavier. So again, I think, I think there's something up, but I, but at the same time, we know that Caravan was a little dinged up. He had, uh, he had the ankle, he's had a finger taped. He's had some cold stretches like this and, and come out of them before already. So again, I'm, I'm not concerned, but it's, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. And then for Cam Spencer, I mean, it was a real redemption story for him. He was like, he was like, oh, I sucked in the Creighton game. I, I, and people thought he was like kind of joking. He was dead serious. You know, he kept, he said my defense and my performance, that's the reason we lost that game. And, you know, like immediately no one is laughing anymore. Um, so I think for Cam, good, to, good to get off of that and come back, come back roaring with a really efficient 25 points. Uh I like your analogy a lot, Matt, again, about Cam and just the fact that like UConn's offense is going how he goes. Uh, something that Hurley said that I thought was interesting, just a little basketball related note, Cam needs to learn to shoot more in tight windows, which I think we'll see more of him doing against tougher defensive teams. He has the uh, the high release to do that, I definitely think. Um like it's he, it's like the whole like the y, YMCA, just like throw it, you know, like that. Um, and then I have a theory and Madigan, you can debunk this if you want, uh, um, about Caravan. Like, I'm not saying this, I'm, I'm reporting like what other people have said, like he has a funky looking shot, right? He, he kind of takes it across That's the confirmed. side. I think, yeah. he, I think even he even says like, yeah, look, I got a weird shot, but it goes in. Um, it like, it's like, okay. It reminds me of like a golf swing where if a golf swing isn't like technically correct you're more prone to like hot streaks and you're more inconsistent and i think that's exactly what like caravan's shooting form is like where like because he has you know he's doesn't have this aesthetically pleasing form it's more liable to peaks and valleys what do you you got that's fair i i think he's i wouldn't say he's like full jim furick but he doesn't have you know the the Nelly Corda, Jordan Hawkins, uh, super smooth shooting lovely. stroke, but lovely. Thank you, thank you. I, I know Amon's gonna love that too. He's clapping like a seal on mute right now. Um, I know all of those guys. I think they're all great, <laughs> tremendous, some of the best I've ever seen. Um, the thing with with Caravan, the only thing that really concerns me is that he, you know, he had a great plus minus did his job on defense. I thought he was really great on defense, honestly, considering this is the exact type of matchup where he'd get torched, uh, you know, last year. But um, normally when his shot isn't falling, he's looking to, you know, put up a shot fake and and get to the rim and drop contact or hit a floater or a layup in in transition. And he didn't really do any of that. He just had one shot inside of the three-point line. Um, And, you know, maybe that's the scouting report. Maybe he was being asked to to kind of stay out and stretch the floor a little bit and let other guys operate. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know um, what Dan Hurley told him post uh, pregame, but uh, that's the only thing that's been weird to me. And I feel like I was looking through his box score too. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, he's still feeling it from when he tweaked that ankle. Um, But, you know, he had 25 points against Georgetown, 21 points against DePaul. So he's shown that he's kind of, doing okay even though they're terrible teams like he's still 
doing it and making those shots and playing 30 minutes at a time. So Madigan, I you can probably you could probably put up 20 points against Georgetown or DePaul. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, I'm a nightmare. I'm a mismatch at the four. I'll just say, but you know, I, I think it's just one of those things he went through a, a poor shooting stretch earlier this year. I think he'll bounce back from it. And as stupid as it sounds, I think him making like him having to take and making that shot off that pass from Newton to give Newton the triple double. I think that kind of like may have snapped him back into uh into his old self where he's kind of pressing. There's a little bit of extra pressure to, you know, make that shot count. And he did. So he's shown the ability to come through when it matters. I think he's going to be fine, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Cause I'm on, like you said, his last game with more than two or two or more threes outside of DePaul and Georgetown was that Xavier game. But that Xavier game was the biggest blowout of the year. So in terms of like close games, he has not really shot well from three in a while now, but um, I'm not going to get worried about it. Uh, I, I think there's still enough firepower to carry this team, at least through the Big East. and We'll see how things look come tournament time. I also don't think because he has enough of a sample size in his year and a half going on two years that coaches aren't going to scout him differently. There's going to, there's not going to be any Andre Jackson type treatment where they just all of a sudden sag off him. I wish they did that because if he is wide open, he will take and make those. If anything, I think they're over scouting him and like, okay, gotta, you know, gotta at least shut down one of the plus shooters on the in between Newton Spencer and Caravan. And I think a lot of that depends on matchups. And recently, you know, Caravan's been the one that gets, I think, the primary matchup there. Uh, when you think like um, Shireman, I think was was guarding Caravan a little bit. I mean, he he he's a solid defender. And then um, TJ Bamba guarding Caravan also. You know, big big versatile dudes that like can get through switches that will give him trouble because he doesn't, you know, have the separation. And yeah, so far, like they haven't been, been punished by it. And like, we've all said, like, it's, it's going to come around. Like, I think I saw like his last big slump. He's had like three slumps where he's gone, like two of 13, two of 10, six of 18 in, in a couple game stretches. He always follows that up with like a, eight for 18 stretch, 16 for 24, nine of 16 stretch that that's going to come eventually. He he's, he's too bit. He's too much of a worker. He's, he's fanatic about that stuff as, as Hurley has described it. So no, move on. Not worried. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, he does hit him a Monday, right? It's just, it's faith in the numbers, right? Like he's three for 16 in his last three games. He's still a 42% shooter from three in conference play and he's 39% on the year. Like this is like, you know, when a, a good con a 300 hitter, goes one for 10 or one for 15 in his last at bats. Like the, he has a track record now to back this up. If, if it was the end of, you know, his freshman season, it's a little bit of a different story, I guess, but you know, he has over 300 attempts at the college level shooting 39.7% from three. Like he's a really good shooter. It, it's not going to change. He may have up and downs, maybe a little streakier than some other guys, but um, I I really think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, and I think to your an earlier point, he's he's hit some big shots late, not just something to get a teammate, uh, you know, a triple double, but he's hit some daggers this year. He 
did that against Villanova in the road game uh, earlier this season. He did it against Texas as well. Uh, and so he's he, he also had one in league play uh, on the road that I think I'm just forgetting at the moment, maybe one of the Butler or Xavier games. So he's he's definitely hit some big shots late in games. And I think- Wasn't it you know, Providence? He uh, hit a he hit a big shot in Providence to get a three or Villanova. Oh, he did hit a big shot against Providence when he came back from the from the ankle, but um, yeah, maybe that was it. So yeah, he's he's hit some big you know clutch you could say shots, and yeah, I mean I think shoot or shoot, he's definitely has still the green light from his coaches. We are just going into great detail for anyone else who might be really concerned about Alex Caravan. Not so much ourselves. We're all cool. We're chill. We're chilling out um Villanova chilling out a little bit less they went three for 24 in that last game for from three uh and I think you know for UConn a couple of things one is that as we have discussed over and over they can overcome any one person having a bad shooting night and then step two or number two the defense is just so good when everyone's healthy when you have Steph Castle and Donovan Klingon uh those are just like aces one on the perimeter one down low and you can bring diara in off the bench uh you know you're not getting any break once uconn goes into the bench uh you know even someone like solo ball a really aggressive defender maybe not uh always exactly where he needs to be so uconn's defense puts them you know make sure that they're uh, a threat to be really really dangerous in every game i think that's what made the difference early on in this one uh in the villanova game when the huskies were running away from it and, uh, you know, I think they're going to have to really hang their hats on it, thinking about the rest of this season as they look ahead to Seton Hall at home. Got to be got to beat that team. You don't want to be swept by anyone. And then really tough road games at Marquette and at Providence to close out the season. How are you folks feeling about this uh, final stretch of the season going into it? I've always um been a, a fan or scared of of Kadari Richmond uh, at Seton Hall I think he's up there for like one of the biggest UConn killers in past uh you know maybe decade or so um and this is just a good team uh, like Seton Hall is really good they're third in the Big East uh the game really matters in terms of conference purposes and I'm sure that Shaheen Holloway has made his team aware of that as well if UConn wins they will split the season series with the Pirates, which could come into play for tiebreaker purposes. I think we might get into this later, but, um, and, and a UConn win would also clinch at least a share of the first Big East regular season title, first conference regular season title since 2006. So there's a lot on, uh, there's a lot at stake here. Um, and I don't think Dan Hurley wants to lose twice to his alma mater in a season where they're going to, finish the year with single digit wins or single digit losses rather. Um, and I, I think this is just a really brutal stretch that's going to test this team heading into tournament time between the Big East and NCAA. Like Seton Hall, probably the weakest matchup out of the three left, but Marquette is tough as anyone on the road. You can throw out how things went down a few weekends ago. That game's in the past does not matter anymore. And, Providence at the amp is is tough there I think they have five losses in the last two or three years or something um at, at formerly called the dunk so uh just a lot of really tough places to play and then 
uh, they'll get a break with the garden and neutral sites after that. But um, these are really tough environments that are going to test this team uh, probably in the right ways ahead of the NCAA tournament. Also, noon tip on Sunday. That sucks. I, I think back to that sun that St. John's game last year where it looked like nobody wanted to be there, not even the fans. Um, I don't – is that at excellent? Let's see. What is that? It's Gamble. Is that Gamble? Okay. So, um, I mean, so Sunday at 12, are we, are, we, are, we get, are we getting up for a Sunday at 12 game? I don't know I think, how, how students get down. It's senior day. They're handing off from old Jonathan to new Jonathan. Ooh, um, that's huge. Yeah. It's something you oh, take down. Okay. If Not that you're us, but if you're gambling on these games, that's something you just put in your notes app, you know, Sunday morning, you're scrolling through placing your wagers. That's something you just keep an eye on. You know, that's just a good thing to know. You're not getting that anywhere else. Wow. That is, that is hard hitting stuff over that's, there. That's um, for your gambling tips. Uh, you can go to us uh, and our partner, just kidding. I have I have never gone so fast from like a oh we're fucked to oh we're so back after hearing after hearing that because yeah now now I I feel a ton better. I was worried a, a ton about like man how do you get up after a week off? And that was gonna be my question to you guys is are we are we worried about like a week off? You know Hurley's gonna be like practicing them hard, but as far as like a momentum and like you know this out we just said Alex Caravan might have got himself um untracked a little bit well does does a week off help or hurt this team because they seem to be one that does thrive on momentum and and in that in the like i am less uh scared of it for a couple of reasons one right after that they have uh well including that game once that game starts they have three games in six days in a span of six days. So I think that rest will be good for them. They uh, going up into the Creighton leading up to the Creighton game. They also had a similar stretch, what four games in 10 days. So they've, they've had some uh, really intense stretches. And so I think the week off will be good for them. I am sure one week uh, to really marinate with the fact that this Seton hall team defeated you uh, not too long ago and you need to assert your dominance over this league nobody should be able to say they swept you this year you want to win the regular season outright uh, and this is a really important stretch to do that and you don't want to count on winning a game against Marquette or Providence on the road to be able to do that so I think with all of those things going into play and the trust that we have in Hurley and the staff as motivators I'm I'm less concerned about the week off, uh, you know, than I would be about some clinching scenario and then fellas taking their foot off the gas and how that might maybe impact something like the Big East tournament or something like that. But even that, I'm I'm really not so uh, afeard of, uh, to be honest. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I think the fact that it's Seton Hall after this break and not Marquette on the road, I feel like that really does change the whole vibes. Um, and Hurley has shown that they can play well after time off and, and handle all that. So it, it's not even that either, but yeah, I think there's just a huge chip on this team's shoulder losing to Seton hall with everything that goes into it. Like it's, it's stupid, trivial stuff, but like, I think that's the stuff that this coaching staff really harps on. Like, I don't think Dan Hurley wants to lose to his alma mater. 
twice I, I think, in one year. I think with a week off, this is going to be a Luke Murray, Kamani Young, and Tom Moore masterclass as far as scouting. Yes, UConn did get like walloped by Seton Hall, but like that game turned on the head when Klingon went down and yep. a contingency hadn't really been established there and that they were deers in the headlights. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to like plan for an injury, but like they're going to be ready this time for that. And, you know, they know they got small ball. So if, if Klingon gets in foul trouble, they've got options. Uh, Samson Johnson can, can be that guy we've seen at times. So there, there's a lot less of that. Holy shit. We're, we're, you know, this season's in the can now, you know, when he went down, which is probably what a lot of those people were thinking uh, as, as the game was unfolding. Meanwhile, you have this like really tough Seton Hall team, you know, taking it to you at home. That's just like I had said when that happened, it was like, it was a worst case scenario type of loss. This is more of like a best case scenario type of rematch where you got a week, you it's at home, senior night, pa- you know, passing of the torch with the doggos. And you, you have this team that is just like, has invents chips on their shoulder. So they're, they're going to come out, you know, guns blazing. Yeah, I'm also not familiar with what the Big East tip is or the slate is for Sunday, but I also really like that UConn is like the first game to tip off just because there's no, oh, like they're heading out to court for shoot around Marquez down 15 at halftime or, or, you know, whatever, like something that impacts them uh, taking care of business and and winning the conference. So I think I think if the layoff really caught someone looking at the score in the scary hours. Imagine you know if you're the guy that checks your phone and he and he sees that, you'd be over, you'd be over very quickly. Uh, you'd, uh, uh, he would turn into a wrench and bock you on the head. Um, so let's talk Big East tournament. Uh, sorry, Big East awards and potential first team, second team stuff. I think uh, you know it was interesting, Patrick, in the last podcast. I think you brought up the possibility of Cam Spencer, you know, starting to make a Big East player of the year case. And I think he's starting to get that recognition now, even though I I definitely disagreed. I thought it probably would not happen and maybe is not even, not even on the radar of people, but it looks like it is uh, to the credit of those people, as well as Cam Spencer. Um, I think that's a very interesting thing. And even Hurley has brought up the fact that when it comes to the potential for someone from UConn winning player of the year, there's too many guys who are going to take away from each other on that. And realistically, you know, like Donovan Klingon is the MVP in, in some sense. Uh, but you've got Tristan Newton also very much up there and Alex Caravan. I mean, you can, you can, you know, if he uh, finishes the season on a strong note, he has just as much of a case for being, you know, like a, a name among consideration for UConn. I think Castle, we can safely say, after his ninth Big East Freshman of the Week, has probably locked up the Big East Freshman of the Year award. We are very excited to avenge Alex Caravan's uh, loss last year, the, Arc. the travesty, Arc. The, the farcical travesty that was last year's choice for Big East Freshman of the Year or Newcomer of the Year or whatever they call it. Um, and I'm even a little, you know, we, we talked about it with the preseason teams and stuff when they came out. I don't know. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if UConn will get the proper love on the first team or second team. 
And I think I think player of the year, UConn's gonna UConn's gonna shut itself out, even if someone, you know, goes buck wild to close out the year and boosts their averages or whatever. You know, like I just don't I don't know how some UConn player is vaulting himself to the top of the Big East player of the list year, even though UConn obviously uh like we said, very likely to win the league. Yeah, I have uh, I have Newton probably as like my personal front runner as Big East Player of the Year right now. But I feel like it's kind of what you said him on. Like, there's too many options for this team, and it's going to get spread out, um, and it'll probably just be someone else. Like, I I hope I think that Cam Spencer, Newton, um, maybe Klingon or Caravan will get honors either first team or, or second team but i was looking at ken palm they had their like all ken palm big east conference tristan newton is number one and then tyler kolick from marquette creighton's baylor shireman eric dixon from villanova and trey alexander from creighton that also probably excludes like realistically ryan Kalkbrenner and no, we're missing, carter we're missing a bit yep there we go they're they're going to be on that list in some capacity too um and and deserves the least so so um those guys are on there i think spencer is inside of that top 10 uh and you can make an argument that someone else from uconn could be as well but yeah i mean Klingon probably should win defensive player of the year but ryan kalkbrenner is almost certainly the betting favorite to win that award i i can't imagine that'll be taken away from him so um, it'll be interesting. Castle should win freshman of the year, may even get first or second team nods, but, um, yeah, it's just very spread out. It, it could be, someone's going to get screwed. That's really all I can think of. Uh, be, uh, you know, we, we've talked to how like Tristan Newton has become like the guy in late clock situations. And that was like a big question of like who becomes the alpha that steps up that has been Tristan Newton because of that. And he seems to kind of like, you know, be the guy that will carry this offense when it's going through, you know, it's sputtering phase. He will, I think be the first person like media gravitate to as like, Oh, if, if UConn wins everything, well, obviously it was Tristan Newton, even though if like analytics and like personal eye test or like, you know, fandom, I think that all of us are kind of like subconsciously or not like factoring into it. Like, I, I think that's like leading to us, you know, want maybe like a Cam Spencer. Um, for me, I think player of the year, it, it's going to be Devin Carter. Like the fact that Providence is probably in the, in the NCAA tournament after losing their best player and all first team, all big East guy. Um, he leads the conference in scoring eight rebounds, three assists, almost four assists, two steals. I mean, he's a, I think I saw on Evan Maya's, and again, I'm not saying these people look at that, but he's like, well, actually, he's not very high on Evan Myers, but he is a, a two-way player. And I think the fact that everyone wrote off Providence when Hopkins went down and they're still somehow around, yeah, is that maybe because they have, you know, the amp and the home the home game models and everything? It doesn't matter. He is an absolute stud. And I think they're going to give that to him. Um, so, like, does that mean that you kind of think, like we had said, we'll kind of, like, play each other, play off of each other, off of like the big ones, like player of the year in first team. Yes. But I do think that they will be the, the team with the most representation when you say like, when you add second team and honorable mention, because maybe Newton makes first team, then you throw 
Oh, Klingon second team, Spencer second team, and then Newton honorable mention. And then when you when you factor in Castle as the freshman, you have your the the, the starting lineup right there. And that's how I could see it going. And, and maybe swap Caravan and Spencer depending on how they end the season. But that's 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 what I'm putting on paper. Yeah, I mean it depends. It depends on how they finish these games too. If they finish the season, you know, this three game stretch, three and zero, I think there has to be at least three or four players on across the two all conference teams. If they stumble a little bit and they, you know, tie Marquette and they get the tiebreaker for the one seed or, or something like that, I'm open to other options. But if they run the table uh, and you know are as dominant as they've been against these really good teams like they have been in the conference all season. Um, I think that advocates for more represent- representation on the, uh, on the all conference teams, but we'll see. We are eager to see the representation, the UConn representation on there. Yeah. Uh, I also just think there's not as much star power this year as, as in previous years when you um, factor in the fact that like Georgetown and DePaul are, are just so bad that like you, you can't, grab anyone from that team Xavier's not that good unless they if you know like Quincy Olivari great player but because Xavier stinks he's not going to get a lot of recognition um unless St. John's turns it around in the Big East tournament Soriano again great player not going to get the recognition so when you have like four dudes or you know four teams with like not no dudes getting representation uh in the fact that like Seton Hall led by Kadari Richmond, Providence led by Devin Carter. I think that their UConn will find their representation in like the honorable mention and second team stuff. And I, I'm I'm pulling back my Devin Carter take because I forgot that Kadari Richmond exists. Uh, it's it's I think it's in between Richmond and Carter. I like Carter. I think I think Carter has a very strong shot of getting it for all exactly all of the reasons that you said and just slightly better narrative story, but maybe because of the just overcoming adversity bit. Uh who knows? Who knows if they factor that into the uh MVP voting or not. But uh Big East clinching scenarios wanted to just confirm madigan you have some info on the tiebreakers and what exactly uconn needs to clinch can you just remind us what that is over this final stretch of the season yeah so i'll start with just how things are shaking out right now there's a great follow-out on twitter this guy at mj hackman um I, I think he's just somebody who loves conference tournaments and, and math and he just kind of tweets out all the probabilities like Every single day. Um, it's an awesome follow this time of year if you don't follow him already. UConn has a 96% chance to claim the one seed and a 4% chance to claim the two seed. Um, they're also just almost assuredly going to claim at least a share of the Big East regular season title, um, which gives a possibility of the, the one and two seeds. But we brought it over. You know, we I was talking through writing an article about the AP poll today. Wanted to talk through tiebreaker scenarios with our friend Mediocre Dan. In order to clinch the Big East Tournament one seed, two and one or better would do it. One and two over this three-game stretch with that one win being over Marquette. Um, they could also go one and two with a loss to Marquette and Marquette finishing three and one or worse over their last four games. 
Um, and they can also go 0-3 with Providence finishing 4-0, Seton Hall finishing 2-2 two two or worse, and Marquette finishing 3-1 or worse. And that's the only situation where UConn and Marquette would tie and UConn would still come out as the number one seed with the tiebreaker. So um, it's a very convoluted tiebreaker sequence with the Big East. It's very simple for UConn. Beat Seton Hall on Sunday. And not a whole lot else matters uh, after that. So uh, it'll be something to keep an eye on over the next three games. But UConn is firmly in control of their own destiny for the number one seed in the Big East tournament. And even though it's a tough stretch of games coming up, if they can win two of three, it's pretty much a done deal. If they can win at least one, they're in very good shape. I see Marquette is playing. I'm, I'm like going in the opposite of what you had just said, just because like that, it doesn't matter. But like Marquette does play Providence, Creighton, UConn, and at Xavier uh, to close out, not the uh, easiest stretch by any margin. And then Creighton's final schedule is Seton Hall, Marquette, and at Villanova. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, not cakewalk by any means. But yeah, uh, just win, baby. Yeah, 96%. You like to see that as it relates to number one. That means UConn playing the noon game on Thursday, which is a exciting slot. Keep your keep your Thursday evenings free. Uh, take that Friday off. Enjoy yourself. It's Big East Tournament weekend, baby. Madison Square Garden. We have that to look forward to. One more home game for these UConn Huskies. I think a lot of people are trying to see these UConn Huskies before they leave Connecticut for good. I am hearing from various sources, Dan Madigan before this podcast recording, that tickets for the Seton Hall game are are up over $200. Is that is that the get-in price for Seton Hall right now? Yeah, 200 204 bucks for one ticket. Um that seems to be the going rate. I'm seeing pairs of tickets going for like 230 or more. Um, very, very hot ticket right now. It's crazy. I mean, you know, it's like Seton Hall, not that not that huge of a matchup. Uh, was hearing very similar things about this past Villanova game. Uh, UConn driving up the price of your tickets. Let that be a note. Any uh, business folks listening, UConn is good for your ticket prices. And Big East Tournament, what's the state of, of ticket prices for those? We are seeing seeing pretty high prices there too, right? Yeah, unless, you know, you don't want to pay your mortgage or whatever. Um pretty uh pretty insane. Yeah, I will get give the garden credit that like there's not really a bad seat in the house unless you're just like upper 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 and regardless of where you sit, you're still part of like the best conference tournament atmosphere in college sports hands down. Um, however, <laughs> yeah, uh, between New York being a super expensive city, hotels, St. Patty's Day on Saturday, as you guys just informed me, um, I think that like one UConn being good, but still showing a little bit of vulnerability has the has the field also like looking at tickets. I really think there was a stretch that when they were just dominating people 
that the interest and the demand was going down uh, because it's like, oh, well, UConn's just going to run away with it. No, it's, I mean, it, Creighton, Marquette, Seton Hall, maybe St. John's goes on to here, Rick Pitino, Dark Magic, whatever. Um, it's going to, it's, it's going to be insane. I also did see that like not all of the tickets had been released yet. So we're dealing with limited supply now based off of season tickets or whatever. It, it, it looked convoluted. I'm not quite sure about it, but yeah, no. Um, what's that budgeting app mint or whatever you might want to, might want to hint that no free ads, but like, no, you might want to hit that mint app pretty hard. If you're going right, to be uh, budgeting. Finance.com, uh, another sponsor of our podcast. Yeah, my my understanding with the Big East tickets is, yeah, the, you got to wait for those season ticket holders to get their allotment, wait for those to hit the secondary market, price goes down. But uh, it's it's still going to be a pricey just, ticket. Just like stocks, baby. You know, it goes up, goes down. Yeah, you know? just buy some stocks. Just buy some stocks and sell yeah. them for the Big East tournament, and you can go for free. This stuff is so easy. I will – I because I have another life as, you know, in, in, around the stock market, I will find UConn tickets and give you that price in some stocks mm-hmm. next, yeah. uh, next podcast for you. So that's, tips, that's some homework. We'll give you stock tips. Like, we'll give you gambling tips too. You could go to the semifinal of the Big East tournament, or you could buy, you know, one share of Tesla. Or buy the best investment you can buy, which is season tickets for UConn men's basketball. That's right, folks. Again, no no free ads. Hit well, no, up. no. The best investment you can buy is a uh, fast break subscription. That's Come right. A fast That's break alley premium membership. Uh, a, a great gift for your friends and loved ones or yourself because you deserve it. Speaking of matriculation, uh, you know, Jonathan is moving on to his next job and many UConn basketball players will be moving on to their next stage of life. And for many of them, it will be in the National Basketball Association. For some of them, it might be a little stint in the G League and then some time elsewhere. And we are super happy for those people as well. Uh, any professional athletic career is a great one, in my opinion. It sounds like a lot better and cooler than all the office jobs and computer and laptop jobs I've had to have. So... Um, we're excited for the Huskies making their ways to the pros. I think it's always been pretty well known that Klingon and Castle ha- are going to be on the NBA draft radar. But I think, as we alluded to earlier, Tristan Newton, Alex Caraban, Cam Spencer, all doing really, really great things for their stock. And I do think all deservedly getting themselves onto the radar in some way, shape, or form. Now, Our head coach, Dan Hurley, has explained that mock drafts are stupid. He has explained that to us very clearly. And anyone Uh, who listens to them is an idiot. Yeah, so we are heeding our head coach's advice here uh, and saying that these mocks don't know anything. Dan Hurley is telling us that there is NBA scouting interest in Tristan Newton. We've seen the rumblings about Cam Spencer. Cam Spencer ended up on on a mock draft. We're seeing people say, hey, if you're a team, put this guy on your team. Cam Spencer's older brother just got called up by the Warriors signing his two-way contract. So it's it's in the genes. Uh, congrats on winning the uh, also, lacrosse I, Heisman, by the way. Real quick, I just had like a thought that hit me that of like, I think Hurley might actually be onto something there because, you know, we you have reported that scouts were have been at 
a, a good number of games. Uh, Brad Stevens, for one, the uh, the heralded general manager of the best NBA team, Boston Celtics. Um, we can I can talk about that if you want. No, but um, no thoughts because Castle and Klingon are projected lottery picks. You're going to get scouts there, and I think that you know by like a as via halo lift is going to get cam spencer and tristan newton um more exposure of like okay well scouts here is gonna have to watch that maybe i don't know i i think we'll take the more much more optimistic uh stance of that they are playing their way into consideration because all those guys you know nba draft express john hollinger uh xyz mock draft you know they they all just go off of tapes and streaming and film and all that stuff and and all that's there um and i think i mean caravan is someone who was somewhat on the radar as a potential nba player even after last season just by virtue of being an impact freshman a starter on a national championship team this year he has taken the step up He's shown a much more multifaceted game. He's much stronger down low and defensively, which I think, you know, just in terms of being like pro ready helps him get there. He probably needs to get a little bit stronger, but at the rate he's shooting and what he provides, he absolutely has a case to be an NBA player. I think Ed Cooley said he's an NBA player. Hurley has said it again. He's kind of gone up and up and and down and out of mock drafts, but I think with Caravan, you know, if we're just making predictions right now, I think it's going to be almost like a like an Andre Jackson situation where it's like February, late February, you're saying, uh, you know, maybe, I guess, I, I can see it. And by by March, you're saying, oh, God, this guy, this guy is so good. He has all the tools. And in this day and age, you don't need to prove everything to get drafted. You need to prove that you have the size and the tools. And I think Alex Caravan will have proven that by the end of the year. So I think, again, you know, we're, we're taking Klingon as castle and castle to be like definitely gone. I think that, you know, maybe it's not the case for one of them or two, you know, but I think those two are almost certainly gone. And then, you know, Spencer's running out of eligibility. Newton's running out of eligibility. Caravan, I think is someone who, if I had to predict now, I, I I'd say he's gone. What do you guys think? I think it all depends on the trajectory of the season, honestly, with, with Caravan. Like, I feel like he could really elevate his stock and play his way into mid second round, early second round um, with another deep tournament run. Uh, if UConn can win a, another title and go back to back, that's when I think a lot of movement probably happens because at that point, if you're Alex Caravan, like what, what do you have to prove? You know, like your stock will probably never be higher. And that's honestly the same case uh, if they just go to the Final Four or they go to the Elite Eight uh, and just make that second weekend. Because um, you're right, it happens so fast. It was basically like, I want to say it was the second weekend of the tournament or leading up to the Final Four, where all of a sudden it was like, hey, like this Alex Caravan guy can play. Like he he's an NBA player. He, he might not be one right now, but he's on that trajectory. And I think he's still on that trajectory. Like you said, he's really improved not only his game, but his body. I feel like he's just a lot more athletic than he was when he came in um, three years ago now after the the fall semester. So um, I, I think he's definitely trending in that direction. I think Newton's stock is going to be shooting 
way, way up. I, I just am so impressed with the way that he can impact games, even when he's not scoring. Um, and even though UConn has Castle, has Diara to kind of set up and initiate the offense, Newton is doing so much work on offense to to get plays started. And you can tell when he's definitely the alpha. Like when when the clock is running out late, more often than not, they're giving the ball back to Newton, letting him go to work. And, and he's putting a tough shot up and uh, converting a lot, honestly. He's made so many tough shots uh, around the basket this year. So uh, really excited for both of them. I think they're both NBA-level players, and I think they can just continue to elevate that stock. And I think, like what you said, Patrick, playing on teams with surefire NBA guys like Castle and Klingon definitely puts you on the map because there's scouts that are on the Clippers or on the Trailblazers that are not watching, you know, UConn, Providence on a Wednesday night. Like, that's not moving the needle for them. And so by being exposed to these guys, it's bringing up their stock too. But um, it's just a, a, a bunch of really good players. And I think we're seeing them play well together now and they can continue to elevate their stock through the rest of the season. Yeah, I had made that comparison because you you see the stories every now and then of like in, in high school, of like a scout goes to see a guy and it's like, oh, well, this guy really popped off the page. I think that was... Was that like Adama Sonogo? Rip Hamilton and Kobe Bryant, a story that was going around recently. Oh, well, no, there was a there was a New Jersey. It was, it was, it was, it was a Sonogo and Samson, I believe. Bingo. Bingo, yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, hey, that guy. Um, you know, think about how we had talked earlier about like Jalen Adams didn't really get a get a look because, you know, in in was had this kind of like unfulfilled legacy. It's like, well, if he's on this type of team, it could be different. And um, UConn does run a lot of like pro set, you know, professional sets as far as the movements and the screening and the rescreening. Um, look at the here you go, Matt again. Look at the Nuggets and how like everything they do is predicated off of movement. Copycat. Oh, okay, yeah, there you go. Um, copycat league teams are going to start to find people that can play off the ball, that can pass and cut and screen and rescreen. So, um. If there these attributes get get highlighted in UConn season, I think it's going to put Tristan Newton in the conversation. And I was listening to uh, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo do like an NBA wrap up today, or like a NBA just kind of like deep dive. And they spent like ten minutes on uh, um, Brandon Pajemski. The I think he was is he undrafted or a second round pick. Uh, out of the Warriors, who has he's become quickly like one of the best rookies in this year's class. And they talked about how he is this underrated rebounder. Now he's a lefty, obviously, so that that's makes him a little more of a unicorn in that sense. But he fits the same profile as Tristan Newton. I looked up a little bit of video. He's not like some crazy freak athlete. Um, just like a really solid player that uses his size and uses his you know, kind of like leverage in elite ways as we've seen Tristan Newton do to kind of get in the lane, make the right decisions. So that comparison, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I think scouts in the NBA are starting to get privy to these guys that aren't just all potential laden and kind of have like this connector role in the NBA. And Andre Jackson was doing, you know, was, was a good example of that until doc rivers came and just sat his ass down on the bench. Um, but it, I think there is a growing role in the NBA 
for guys that can do a lot of things well, uh, like off-ball things. And I would put Newton and Caravan in that role. Spencer, not so much, but he's also an elite shooter. And so that's another thing that NBA scouts love is like if you're, you know, in the top one, you know, 99th percentile in that, then you're you're going to get a look. As far as Caravan coming back next year, I don't have anything else notable to add because like you said, if, if they go out in the second round, you know, who knows if, and if they win it all, then yeah, you go like your, your, your stock is never higher. Uh, and I have like dreaded bringing this up because we're obviously in the middle of this dream run here, but like you do wonder what a caravan led team would be like next year, as far as his usage and exposure. Um, assuming that like, Everyone in that starting lineup leaves except him. And you elevate Diara, Samson Johnson, uh, Jalen Stewart, Solo Ball. That's not the best team on paper. You're assuming a lot of jumps from people. But, you know, Hurley has proven to be a master at finding perfect portal fits. If he goes into the portal and finds this, like, second offensive option, to care, you know, so team offenses don't have to focus on Caravan, and he can have a year where maybe UConn won't be as successful as a team, but he puts up 20 points and five rebounds per game, and maybe gets into a little more of a creator role with his passing. Then maybe he leaves and becomes like instead of a second rounder guy, like a fringe first rounder. That's a fun scenario. Yeah, I, I like the idea of a of an Alex Caravan led team. I think, uh, however the postseason is going to play out probably good. Uh, and, you know, I just, that's, that's where my prediction comes from is basically, you know, I think, I think UConn does take care of business in some meaningful way. Maybe they don't win at all, but they certainly go, you know, pretty deep in, in March, uh, maybe April. And if that's the case, I, I think he's done enough. And then like, you, you know, like you guys mentioned, how much more would he have to prove and, would he want to do it with a completely different roster? I do agree, though, that there is, I mean, I you know, this is conventional wisdom. It, there's a ton of value, obviously, to getting your name into that first round conversation rather than just merely into the draft conversation. And just today there was something from, uh, I think, you know, one of the guys I named earlier, one of the NBA draft guys about, Lots of early entrants, uh, I think it was some, you know, just from the 2021 draft, already out of the league, already cut by their team, including UConn's own James Booknight. But, uh, you know, so I think there's a little bit more momentum towards staying for those college players. I think for someone like Andre Jackson, you know, like even after the season, I think there was some like hope that he might stay even though he had shown enough. And I, I really feel like Caravan will be in a very similar boat where it's like, he may want to stay. It might make sense. It might be, a, like you said, a cool situation. He'd probably get a great NIL bag to do it. It's definitely better than a G League deal, I would I would guess. Um, but if he gets himself into that first round convo, I, I, think, I think that's going to happen. And I think he's got to go. Another factor, I think this story was making the rounds recently on the interwebs, how his mom like hated UConn 
at first because it wasn't challenging enough academically. He's also, I think, created his own major. That's like a combination of like computer science and business. Um, is he like, you know, that you can't graduate in two years. Uh, and if you're just like on the fringe, is he saying like, all right, like, let me get, get my academics dialed here and come back with a, a retooled team as a focus. You know, I've, you know, been, I've won a national championship. I've won maybe a big East tournament title. Like now let's focus on, on me. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, look, you gotta you put academics in there because you know, the, the word is out that, that that's a, you know, very important for him and his family. You might even want to go to a, a stronger academic school, like in Arkansas or, or something like that. You know, we, we've seen players and other programs do things like that too. So def- definitely something to consider, but you know, Maybe I think or Villanova. Right. Right. Yeah. Have to throw that out there too. Um, I, I think there's a legacy aspect of this as well, right? Like he is from Massachusetts, New Hampshire area. He's a new England kid. He helped UConn to a championship. He, you know, is at least helped the Huskies to probably a regular season Big East title this year. Um, and yeah, I think there's going to be NIL money. I think there's going to be things um, where it's not as clear cut as it was maybe a year or two ago for, for players at this level to just go to the G League or go to the NBA. Uh, another thing is the COVID years are drying up. The, le- the league is going to get a lot younger starting next year. There's still people that are have COVID years, but... You know, we see guys like Zach Eady, right? Zach Eady had another year. Somehow he's going to the pros no matter what. Like there's going to be a lot of other people in similar boats that are just looking to, to get on with their life, whether it's in the NBA or something other than sports, like the commercials always said. So um, he could come back and be one of the more experienced players in the country and put up some pretty gaudy numbers and in, in elevate his stock that way. So I still think he probably ends up going pro. You can take classes from anywhere now. Like you can, you can get your degree whenever you want, even if it's that important, he'll, he will find a way to get it done. Um, but with the NIL, with the legacy, with the foundation that he's kind of already built in this year and a half, two years at UConn, like it's going to be a really interesting scenario um, to kind of keep an eye on this off season heading into next year. As it relates to Cam Spencer, I thought it was a little bit, uh, I thought it was a little aggressive at first when he was clearly starting to po- you know have a good season for people to start saying oh he might get a might get an NBA look. I still think it's it's a pretty optimistic view uh for for Spencer uh for a variety of different reasons but uh you know I I think what, like what you guys is? said I I think he's going to get you know, like we discussed, he's going to, he's going to go to the combine. He's going to get a G league look. He'll probably be on a summer league roster. Let's, uh, let's not forget that Joey Calcaterra is on a G league team mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Like in, in no, no disrespect to Joey Calcaterra, but I think Cam Spencer is a far better overall basketball player. Yeah. Why, uh, why are you him. comparing Cam Spencer and Joey Calcaterra? I actually don't even think that there's that much in common that they, those two have. Uh, Cause they both um have C's in their name. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. No, 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 that's natural. And they were both transfers into Yukon. Transfer and guards. Yeah. Into Yukon. Very And they both have cool nicknames. Yeah. 
I think what's better for Spencer is his, his what his brother's up to. He sees it's in the family, man. That's that's extremely cool. Have you uh, have you seen his highlights? Him. By the way, he plays exactly like oh, really, <laughs> like it's yeah. it's insane. Like they're they they just have this like herky jerky movement, um, and yeah. I was scrolling Twitter randomly and I saw a highlight, and I was like, "That's Cam Spencer." It was his brother throwing a lob to Amita Brima. And I was like, I've seen I've seen this play a thousand times, just not from Cam, not from Cam Spencer's brother. It's pretty amazing, but yeah, very similar game. And like, this is stupid too, but like, there's a lot of groupthink. I think his brother making it to the NBA now, they're they're gonna sign someone will sign Cam Spencer and be like, well, you know, there's pedigree there. Like his brother's an NBA player. Like that stuff goes a longer way than it probably should. And. He's also just having an incredible year. I I knew he was shooting lights out, but he's going 56, 45, 92. Like he he's having an insane season, like Steph Curry season uh, at the college level. And like all the other concerns with his game aside, you have to get an NBA look if you're going to put up numbers like that. Like that's absolutely insane. I, I'll have to tap in Connolly and see when the last like 50, 40, 90 season was. I think it was KML. Clean Muscato Lewis, um, of course, in 2016. But I mean, that is absolutely bonkers stuff that he's doing. That is not normal and so so hard to do. And he's doing it with flying colors. And if it doesn't work out, you know, he's playing professionally for for 12 years overseas, you know, very lucratively, and then coming back and becoming one of the best mid-major college basketball coaches of all time. Oh, brother. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. It, it it will be very funny to see him just absolutely enrage, like it, if he goes to play in Europe, I should say, uh, enrage a bunch of like opposing fans, because like imagine like you know the the European sports environment, you have Camp Spencer just just jabbing at you, raining threes on you. Oh my God, yeah, it, it'd be electric. Uh, well, all of the Big East uh, fans can can commiserate with that because they all. Oh, it's amazing! After every game, you see fifteen. I hate Cam Spencer tweets. It's amazing. It's so you know, good. He's, it's he's like clockwork. Like a dirty player, you know. Like and he's, he's not... and he's. I, I think there's like a difference in like how like bias, obviously, but like how Kolek and you know talks shit, where it's more of like it's like in your face and like a little almost like douchey and just like cam spencer's like no he's crazy like he's just like he just like it just overwhelms him that's my my take cam spencer would like, never take the the middle finger photo with the trophies you know like he exactly would, he wouldn't say he, barbecue chicken in, in yeah. a in a in the post-game presser and then be like oh look up urban dictionary like fuck off dude yeah. um, all of his talking is on the court it's it's no bs off of it like he is just there to win basketball games talk some shit on the side and like go to the next game like that's it that's all he wants to do and then play professionally later and then level up again basically like you know you you would talk about you know he was lightly recruited out of high school plays at Loyola levels up to Rutgers levels up to UConn and now he's leveling up into pro pro prospect which is really crazy and impressive stuff and hey if it doesn't work out maybe he can uh, play one-on-one against his brother and uh, we can sell tickets for that and have it in Hartford or something I could totally see him, you know, whether it's in four years or six years or 12 years being like Luke Murray 2.0. And we're doing this podcast 15 years from now and we're cracking up about how 
Kim Spencer just lost his mind on, you know, solo balls cousin or whatever, because he forgot to close out on somebody. <laughs> like I, I just picture that in my head so clearly. Um, he just has that intensity that you need to be like a Dan Hurley level coach. And, we we found uh, the heir to Dan Hurley right there. There it is. Yeah. Cam Spencer next UConn head coach. You heard it here first folks. That's going to do it for us here at the fast break pod. Thank you all for listening.